You're listening to Grace Seal Beach Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, go to gracesealbeach.org. Good morning. This is our uh, final in a four-part series called What the Gospel Does. If you've been with us, or if, if not, maybe you remember the hand signals. Everyone that remembers them, let's do them together. The gospel comes to us, it changes us, it brings us in, it sends us out. That's right. The gospel comes to us. It comes as news, comes as a gift. It comes to us. We didn't go looking for it. The gospel changes us. It doesn't make us nice. It makes us new. Right? We have a, a new Lord. We have a new perspective. We are a new creation. And the gospel brings us in. It makes us family, a family whose members do the will of God, a family whose foundation is secure because it rests on the work of Jesus. That's where we've been over the last three weeks. This morning, we close out the series with the gospel sends us out. So if we think about last week, the gospel brings us in. It does that in order to send us out. Four things to note uh, today about how the gospel sends us out, all from the book of Acts. And this is in the bulletin in your uh, outline there. And on the back of the bulletin, there's some quotes that you'll also have for when I read those in the service. So in the outline, we're sent out in power, Acts 1 and 2, we're sent out with others, the end of Acts 2. We're sent out in fear and comfort, Acts 9.31. We're sent out today, Acts 29. So we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. And there'll be a lot of me reading in the Bible and quotes, and if you just follow along. Uh, But I hope throughout all, you'll hear loud and clear that whether it's across the sea or across the street, whether it's the first century or the 21st century, God's people are ascent people. And I've had this first quote I'll read. I've had this for a while. I couldn't track down the source, but I'll read it. It does a great job setting the tone for today's message. And I'll just say, someone said, someone said, we do missions, and this isn't me. I didn't just like, it's not a humble brag or anything. It's a great quote. Not me. Someone said, we do missions because God does missions. The very idea of missions, that of sending, is at the heart of our Trinitarian God. In love, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. After Jesus' resurrection and return to heaven, both the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. This was to abide with, comfort, and empower the people of God to convict and to convict the world of sin. The mission of God continues as Jesus sends his people out into the world to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So when we, church, when we hear the gospel or changed by the gospel, brought into the family of God, this is so wonderful, isn't it? It's great to be in God's family, to be in a local church. There's, there's nothing quite like it. I've heard some of your stories about how the community has come around you in times of need, how much you value being a part of this family. But the gospel's work, what it does is not finished when we come into the family. It comes to us, it changes us, it brings us in so that it can send us back out. We're brought in to be sent back out. God wants us to enjoy our redemption, to feel the greatness of forgiveness, right? He does. He wants us to breathe in the, the freedom we've been given, to, to, to really prize that. But it doesn't end there. 
he calls us to join his mission for the world, right? We get to participate or play a part in God's ongoing work in the world so that others can experience the grace of God like we have. How great is this? I'll give you the first one. It's very great. How incredible is this calling of ours? Very incredible. How, you're, it's all right. How ill-equipped are we in ourselves for this? Very ill-equipped, right? We don't have the power to do this. Some days we barely have the power to be decent to our family, right? We don't have the power needed for this great work, but God does, and he shares his power with us in demonstrable ways. We see this in the first couple chapters of Acts. The first thing I want to say about being sent out, and this is the first point in your outline, is we're sent out in power. So let me read a bit from Acts 1 and 2. You can turn there. It's the the first uh, book after the Gospels in the New Testament. If we were preaching on Revelation, (laughs) that would be amazing coordination. So Luke... uh, Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, we'll start in verse 4, follow along if you have your Bible. And while staying with them, he, that's Jesus, after the resurrection but before he ascended, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jump down to verse 8, we'll hear this again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 12. This is after Jesus ascends to heaven. Then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And we have Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So we have the 120 in the upper room, chapter 2, verse 1 of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they're all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so this happens, and we remember back to Acts 1.8, where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That is the Holy Spirit coming upon them, giving them God's power. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. The power of the Spirit in our lives is for witness, for testimony to God. It's not to exalt us. It's not to compare ourselves with others and look down on those less blessed than us. It's not to give us bragging rights, right? It's for witness. And whether that's a miracle that God uses to perform through our lives or gospel boldness or unquenchable joy, God's people are empowered by the Holy Spirit to give witness to Jesus, to point to Jesus as the hope of the world. And that's exactly what Peter does when he stands and gives his day of Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. He talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus, how God planned this. 
It was predicted in the scriptures. He quotes from the prophet Joel and from King David in the Psalms. And he says, all this God has done to redeem the world. And the fact that you are guilty of killing the son of God shows that you need redeeming. You're a bunch of wretches. But good news, the one you killed didn't stay dead. He is risen from the dead. And if you'll believe in him, even though you're guilty, the one that you're guilty of putting to death, your sins, that one will set you free. He will be your savior. By the way, Jesus, he's the one who's doing all of this today, Peter says. Acts 2.33, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you're seeing and hearing. He's responsible. Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit on his people. And by doing that, Jesus has empowered his people to live for him, to continue the work that he began on earth. And while Jesus is not with his people today in body, he certainly is with his people today. Truly, really. He didn't lie when he said to his disciples in Matthew 28, behold, I'm with you always. Jesus, by the presence of the Spirit, is with us today. This is how Paul can say to the Colossians, Christ in you is the hope of glory not one day he will be in you, but Christ in you now, Colossians, is the hope of glory. This is how Jesus can say in John 15, you abide in me and I'll abide in you. The Spirit unites us to Christ and the Spirit is the power we need to live as sent ones. We're sent out in power. And this feels more like a hallelujah in response from you all instead of an amen. So can I get a hallelujah? Amen. The very power of God, the, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that same spirit empowers us today. And that's incredible. We're sent out in power. And as we keep reading the account in the early church, in the book of Acts, we see that we're also sent out with others. We're not alone. Something uh, that can be really intimidating for many Christians is the thought of sharing our faith or witnessing or or being sent all by ourselves, right? You know, God calls you to India because he never calls anyone to Kauai, right? He calls you to India. You're not part of any team. You, you leave all and follow him, and, and there you are, a one-woman witness, just by yourself. Or God calls you to Javatini's, which seems to be part of my calling, a little coffee shop right over here. And when you're there, you're supposed to engage people with the gospel whenever and whomever you can, and Again, it's just you by yourself drinking coffee. That, that's intimidating. The truth is God never intended for us to be sent by ourselves. We are sent out, but we're sent out with others. We don't go it alone, right? The Apostle Paul even had traveling companions, co-laborers in the gospel on his missions. And when Jesus sends out a larger group of disciples in Luke 10... They don't go out by themselves, but like the animals that entered Noah's ark, he sends them out in pairs, two by two. A great picture of what it looks like to be sent, God's sent people is found in Acts 2, 42 to 47. So if you have your Bible open, look there, verse 42, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's no, there's no lone ranger solo Christian here. This is a community of God's people. They're sent with others. We read they, they are together. They live out their faith. It's the church being on mission, a family on mission. And, and notice what makes their community so compelling. And it's, it's not rocket science. They're devoted to the gospel and they're committed to each other. That's it. They're committed to each other. They're, they knew how to share. That's how it shows up, their commitment. They share meals. They share resources. They share their lives. They sacrifice for each other. We see that in that when someone had a need and I have more than I need, then I meet their need. In a community that has all these resources, nobody goes without. They saw themselves as family, brothers and sisters with one and the same father. They live like it. Sometimes we hear this word sent. The gospel sends us out and we think, uh-oh, I got to go somewhere. And that somewhere is very, very far away, right? It's not strange we would think this given the way we talk about being sent in the church. We often refer to missions organizations as sending agencies, right? Where would these agencies send you? Not normally Atlanta or LA. It would be more like Bangladesh, so it makes sense that when we think about being a sent people, in our minds, we think missionaries, right? And I would say that's right. We should think missionaries, but we need to expand our understanding of who missionaries are. It's not just people that leave their zip code for a foreign land. It's all of us everywhere, right where we are. We are all sent where are we sent? Some overseas, but most of us right where you are, right where you live with the people you already know. As God's people, we're a sent people. So the gospel's work, it doesn't end when someone lands in the church, right? We don't have a three-part series, right? The gospel comes to us, it changes us, it brings us in, let's eat, right? We have a four-part gospel, as wonderful as it is to be a part of this church community, and I can tell you it, it is. This, this family is great. We will not be faithful to God if all we do is keep our numbers with us right here, 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11, and we gather together every week, as great as this is. We love each other. We care for each other. We pray for each other really well. That's fantastic. If we just do that with each other and we're content with that and we just kind of hold on until Jesus returns, we are not being faithful to being God's people. We're not being faithful to the gospel. And I hope you want more than that, just to have what we have with each other. If that was the posture of the church before we were added to it, then we'd have been left out. But as it is, we've been included. And as much as God loves the children he already has, he wants more. And I hope you want that too. It's great to be a family. It's great to be a part of this church family, but we are a family on mission. 
Leslie Newbegin, uh, maybe you know his name. He was a, a British theologian and missionary to India for much of his career. And he said, the church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. So we're called out to be sent back in. How, how does this work? Right? We might say, how, how do we live Christian lives in a sent way? What does it mean to be a sent people? I think the message from last week about being a family, the church is a family, really helps give us some, some framework for how we might imagine this. You know, you could invite people to family gatherings. And if we're talking about the church, think big family gatherings like, like worship or the Christmas and Easter services or smaller family gatherings like coffee and canvas that our women's ministry puts on or Christianity Explored or the church picnic coming up. So you could do that. You could bring up your family in everyday conversations. That's another way you could be sent. How was my weekend? You know, just talking to my neighbor. Great. On Saturday, I went hiking with some friends. On Sunday at our church, we heard about ways to help support a, a refugee family from Afghanistan. And I'm going to get to teach the dad and, and the family how to drive. That's how I'm contributing. It's really a great opportunity. It's great to be part of a church that cares about people outside that their, their own walls. We want to make a difference. How was your weekend? Right? That's just a natural kind of way to bring up the family in everyday conversation. And then remember that you're an extension of the family even when you're by yourself. God is with you always, and that's the best thought. But even when you're away from family, you're with one neighbor talking or you're in a coffee shop by yourself or wherever it is, people not me hang out. Just remember you're part of the family. You're still connected. And let that thought encourage you. So unless we're living in a safe religious enclave, like kind of hold up, just us, our lives will intersect with people who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. So just live your life. Invite, include your friends in your life, who are, those who are more than friends, those who are, are family, because of Jesus, and include your friends who don't know Jesus. And trust that God's going to be present to bless when you're just wherever you are with whomever you are. Being sent and being a church family, not two separate things. It's being who we are. Being sent is being who we are, devoted to the gospel, committed to each other in intentional ways, in ways that intersect with our neighbors and our community. It's living our lives wherever and with whomever on purpose for Jesus. That's what it is. Living our lives with wherever and with whomever on purpose for Jesus. When the church in Acts 2 did this, what was the outcome? Joy in their hearts, attention from their neighbors, and a, uh, an expansion of the family. Verse 47, day by day, the Lord was adding to their numbers, adding to his family, those who were being saved. And when we live this way, we should expect the same. So we're sent out in power, and that power manifests itself. It's best lived out when we understand that we're sent out with others. We're a family on mission. Next, we're sent out in fear and comfort. That language, fear and comfort, comes from Acts 9.31. There we read, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, this, this quote on the back there is kind of more of a few paragraphs. Pastor Ray Ortland comments on this verse, and I was going to summarize or try to be succinct, but it's just, it all holds together, so I'll just read the whole thing. It's really good. He says, I'm not against strategic plans. I'm for them. They have their place, but they cannot generate the astonishing outcomes described in the book of Acts. Why don't we see anywhere in the book of Acts a man-made strategic plan for evangelizing the world? Answer, they didn't have one, right? What did they have? Two things for starters, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In the fear of the Lord, they were teachable, they were humble, they were listening to the gospel, they were open and grateful and easily bendable. Are you easily bendable? They did not have a spirit of haughty self-assurance. They were eager to learn and grow and change. Does that describe you? In the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were gladdened. They felt forgiven. They were reconciled to God and reconciling with one another. They saw their sins and failures, but they also saw the greater, far greater reality of Jesus crucified for them. To put it in a secular way, they couldn't believe their luck. Is that your experience? Openness in a know-it-all world, God help us, right? Comfort in an angry world, we need that too. That ancient world simply could not resist these heaven-sent powers. So the church didn't just grow, it multiplied. Those early churches had no master plan for their future. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it worked. It's really encouraging. So we've looked at Acts 1 and 2 and 9 so far. Jerusalem was the spot for Acts 1 and 2. And in Acts 9, the scene changes to Judea and Samaria. Those are both mentioned in Acts 9.31. So think back to the beginning, Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. So we see the gospel is moving out. And where else? To the end of the earth. Our brief time in the book of Acts this morning has followed that expansion. 1 and 2, Acts 1 and 2, the gospel in Jerusalem. Acts 9, Judea, Samaria. And in Acts 29, we see that the gospel has in fact made it to the end of the earth. So I'll give you a minute to get there, but turn in your Bible to Acts 29. Hmm? Good luck. Why is that, Paula? Ends with 28. I, here, I, I didn't put your name here, Paula, but now you might be tempted to say, Pastor Tim from Paula, Paula, there's no Acts 29. And I'd say, and you'd be wrong. It's true there's no Acts 29 in our Bibles. That is true. It ends with 28. But there is an Acts 29, the church in Acts 29. Are you ready? It's us. Ta-da. Look around. We're the church in Acts 29. God's ongoing mission in the world. God, let, let me say this again, slowly. God's ongoing mission in the world has been entrusted to us and people like us. How does that make you feel? Probably a lot of mixed emotions, right? Wow, Amazing. That's awesome. So such a privilege. What a responsibility. I better change some things about me. 
Unless we think people were fundamentally different in the first century than they are today, God has always done his world-redeeming work through jars of clay, through frail folks like us. Friends, we are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. Just as his people have always been sent out whenever and wherever they've lived, we today are sent out. If you've trusted in Jesus, he's your Lord and Savior, then you've received power. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. He's come upon you for witness right where you are in your everyday life. We are the church in Acts 29. The church didn't end with the apostles. It continues through the generations. And sometimes we forget that. We have a little distance between what we read in the Bible or we think about the early church and us modern Christians today. But we are the continuation today of that same church. What we read every Sunday in the scriptures is not just ancient history. It's our history. We're a later chapter of the same story. The church will continue on. It'll keep playing its role in preaching and pointing to Jesus until he returns. And I hope you're excited about being part of that. So in Acts 1 and 2 and 9 and 29, we see the church, the spirit-filled family of God, continuing the ministry of Jesus until our king comes back in person. And just as those early Christians were sent, and just like vocational missionaries are sent, so every believer today, including you if you're a believer, you are equally sent. You could probably guess that the United States sends more missionaries to other countries than any other country in the world. Maybe you know that. We send out more missionaries to other countries than anyone else in the world. But did you know that the United States also leads the world in the number of missionaries sent to us. The United States needs the gospel and God is sending missionaries to us from all over the world to accomplish his great plan. See, God sees the need. He sees it over there and he acts. He sees it right here at home and he acts. He sends his people to help. The gospel sends us out. We're all on mission with Jesus. Now, if I were sitting where you are and I were to hear me saying what I'm saying this morning, I would want to know what exactly does this mean? Right? I like, I like, I like exact. I want you to tell me three things in, in consecutive order, like this first, this second. What do I do? Practically speaking, break it down for me. How do I be like a sent one? And, and I, I hesitate to give specifics because every person's different. You have different gifts. You have different personalities. Some of you are eager to weave Jesus into every conversation you have. You wake up in the morning, another day on the mission field, and you're just looking for opportunities. You're looking for people to engage. You're ready to go. Many of you, that's not you. Right? I don't know the particulars for each person, what it looks like for each one of you to be sent, but I, I do like what I mentioned earlier, which is being sent is living our lives wherever and with whomever 
on purpose, so there's intentionality, for Jesus. So let's say you hear that this morning. You're like, okay, yeah, I'm on board. I, I buy that. I, I'm glad that God's calling includes, I, I understand from the scriptures and I want that. I want to be a sent one. There still might be some challenges, right? There's obstacles that present themselves, things that get in the way. We can call these okay, but what ifs. And that's in your bulletin. Okay, but what if? What if I'm shy? What if I'm not good at fielding questions? What if I'm fill in the blank, right? A lot of reasons that, that we might lack confidence when it comes to this. That, that's true for many of us. And in light of that, in light of the, this challenge, and it's a real challenge, I hope that God would use the last bit of this message to encourage us. Here, here's help number one. Okay, but what if, what if this, this, and this? Here's help number one. The practice of witness, three things. And I would say any of you, any of us here can do this. So be confident. You can do this. First, listen. So I didn't say it would be easy, and some of you need God's supernatural help just to do that, right? But first, listen. Listen to others, their stories, their struggles, their hopes. Listen for God's uh, presence in their lives. They might not even know that it's God, but you see how he's been at work. Ask questions. Ask good questions. You'll need to listen well to ask good questions. If you're not good at listening, ask God to help you because it's amazing how much people want to talk. You ever been talking to someone and really doing a good job listening and they're like 10 minutes later, I don't know why I just told you all that. I don't even know you. I know why. It's because you listen and people want to talk. Listen because you care for them. Hear me on this. Listen because you care for them, not because you think they might become a Christian. We're not in sales, friends. After you've listened, speak. Tell others your story, your struggles, your hopes. Tell others of God's great work in your life, how he cares for you, has provided for you, how he loves you and them. Right, share the good news. You don't have to be a pastor or have a pulpit or go to seminary or any of that. You just need a story. And you have one of those. You just need to tell what you've seen and heard. That's what a witness does. Tell what you've experienced, how God has changed your life. Be a witness. And then point. And I don't mean this, like, oh, God, he's awesome. I mean, may, do that if you really, really feel called to that. But I mean in your listening and in your speaking, trust that God will use you to be a signpost or a pointer to him and his kingdom. In the way you listen and speak, you your, your presence, your life, your posture, it can point to a better kingdom, a better way to live than what's currently being offered. So listen, speak, and point, and be prayerful throughout. And you might hear that and think, okay, that, yeah, I get that. Listen, speak, it still takes engagement. Uh, okay, but what if I still have what ifs? Right? I only did two of these. I don't have a what if I still have what ifs on top of another what if. But what if I still have what ifs? Here it is, the second help. This will be the last one. Make one big, bold assumption. Are you ready for it? Here it is. What can you assume? This is big. This is bold. God is already at work. 
That's it, that we make that assumption. God is, as he always has been, already at work in people's lives. It's not up to us to create potential or make something happen. We partner with God in his work that's already begun in people. And he is working. You can be sure of that. Have confidence when you're hanging out at the coffee shop or you're going to the barber or you're moving with friends or you see your family over the holidays. God is at work and he's not waiting on you. We get to partner with him. And that's an amazing privilege, but he has been at work for a long time already. He was there before we got there. He'll be there after we're gone. Assume that. You know what that does? That takes the pressure off of us having to have an answer to every question that we're asked or to be able to say everything we do in just the right way. You can't mess up what God has already done. Have confidence. God is at work and he will not fail. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And here we are at the end of the earth. Right? God has been faithful to fling Christians far and wide from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Rome, across the ocean to the United States to Southern California to Seal Beach. All over the world there are Christians today because Jesus is true to his word and he poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. May God, our great sending God, add his blessing to his word this morning. And may he add his blessing to us, his people as well. So the gospel comes to us, it changes us, it brings us in, it sends us out. And once a week on the day Jesus rose from the dead, which is today, Sunday, we, God's people, gather together to rehearse the gospel, to practice our faith, to renew our commitment to God and to each other. And when we do this, when we gather for worship, we, we get to hear the gospel in the preaching of the word. And on Sundays that we come to the Lord's table together, communion, we get to employ some other senses too. In addition to hearing, we get to, to see and to touch and to taste the gospel. And I suppose if you're so inclined, you can smell the bread and the cup too. The gospel, we could say, is coming at us in stereo today. Let's take a few moments in silence to just quiet our hearts, to repent of our sins as we prepare once again at the table to receive the good news. So let's take some time.